it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Up on our site, The Ringer is breaking down the 40 best singles and albums from 1999, covering Britney Spears, The Backstreet Boys, Mariah Carey, and tons more. And to accompany that piece, we filmed our staffers discussing what they agreed and disagreed with from the article and debated what should have won. You can read the piece on TheRinger.com and watch the video at YouTube.com slash TheRinger. Basketball is very good. Kevon Looney is a max player. The Lakers should hire Ernie Grunfeld. Kawhi should sign with the Warriors. Basketball is very good. Hello and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. I am Justin Verrier and joining me in studio is Danny Chow. Danny, hit it. This Uh, is the... Chat. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Alternate, alternate uh, title. Uh, this is Slow News Day with Kevin Clark. We are Danny Chow and Justin Barrier. Okay, get so, it? It's a little long. I actually don't get it. It's a slow news day. <laughs> oh, it is a slow news day. There you go. See, I am slow because it's just that time of the year, you know? Yeah, we have nothing to talk about. Well, that's a great intro into the podcast that you're just about to listen to. We actually do have a few short things to hit on today. Carmel Anthony will not go away. So we're going to talk about what the future holds for our favorite wing scorer. Uh, but first, I'm Rich Jennifer. Ooh, I like it. Not either of us personally, but uh, CJ McCollum is extra rich. I guess he was already rich, so he's just even more rich. Yeah. He's wealthy now. So CJ McCollum signed a $100 million extension over three years on Tuesday. That extension begins in the 2021-22 season. So two seasons from now, which I guess is how far in advance some of these players uh, think about these things. This is not a max deal. Neither the years nor the dollars are are a max amount, but it's pretty close to it. I believe he's only $4 million off of the three-year maximum that he can get. Uh, McCollum previously signed a four-year, $106 million extension in 2016. So in total, he is now under contract for five years, $157 million. That's an annual value of $31.4 million when you put it all together. Danny, before we get into the big picture, let's talk about CJ and this deal specifically. Is this a good or a bad deal for the Portland Trailblazers? I mean, I think it's a good deal for the Blazers. You're looking at a guy who is obviously a very, very talented offensive player. Uh, it's under the max. And you could easily argue that CJ deserves the max. Um, I think, you know, in this kind of age we're looking at in the NBA, what you're really looking at is the final year of the contract. And in the final year, it is estimated that CJ will make around $36 million um, in that final year. That's a tradable that's a tradable asset. It's really two bad contracts uh, with some filler, and you could probably make the money work. So he's currently 27. Uh, so he would be 32, if, if my math is correct there, <laughs> five years from now. Right. That makes sense for him. I guess the, the sticker price is a little shocking, if only because he's never been All-NBA. He's never been an All-Star. And I think we often equate those sorts of dollar signs Uh, with that amount so but I guess the flip side of that is he is the type of player that the league is trending toward right right yeah and he has always kind of been that player he is a career 40% three-point shooter he's a guy who can create his own bucket from three levels of the floor Uh, those are valuable players and I think yeah we haven't really seen him in that first option role very often um 
I think the last time there was a lot of hype around that was probably two seasons, two or three seasons ago now, uh, when we kind of saw, you know, Lillard go down with a little knickknack injuries and and CJ kind of rising up to the fore. Over the past two seasons, we've really seen CJ and Dame kind of become this inseparable duo. Uh, last year, they spent 86% of their playing time together, whereas I think they only averaged, he only averaged like five minutes a game without Lillard on the floor. It's kind of like you and I. Yeah, right. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Uh, well, that's a good point to pivot to the the kind of context the Blazers are signing him here to. So it is appropriate in the same summer that CJ signs his extension, Damian Lillard also signed an extension. Uh, Lillard signed this summer for four years, $196 million. That is the super max. It's a lot of money. Uh, that one will also begin in the 2021-22 season. So in total, Lillard and McCollum over the next five years will earn $203.4 million. So, I mean, on the one hand, it makes some sense. The Blazers, what m- more can they do if they do want to keep going forward with this core? But it does kind of beg the annual, annual question we have about the Blazers and about this partnership in particular. Is this worth that sort of money, the CJ and Dame pairing? I mean, I guess if you're the Blazers, you kind of have to do it, right? Like, I, the the closest kind of approximation to what the Blazers are doing in, in continually running back their core. Um, I mean, are they the modern Atlanta Hawks? Mm. I mean, just a team that's always going to be there. They're always going to be good. And, I mean, the Hawks had the longest, um, one of the longest postseason streaks in uh, active streaks in the league for a really long time. The because, Joe Johnson era. Yeah, the Hawks, Joe yeah. Johnson, Al Horford, Josh Smith. They were competent for a really long time and they were just kind of biding their time, waiting for LeBron to have some sort of freak injury. It never happened. Uh, and so they they kind of were cast aside. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the Blazers have obviously shown that, you know, they have staying power. And I think, you know, the the whole idea of, you know, them making the conference finals this year, it, it adds a certain probably perception of momentum for the front office, for the ownership. Um, You know, that this is, you know, something worth pursuing. Right. I think the problem with the Hawks that they ran into is they never had the high that the Blazers just experienced. And now I guess the question is, how much should we really read into that? Yeah, they have. The Hawks? Yeah, they made the conference finals. The Hawks made the conference. Oh, you're talking about like, the Al Horford, well, Kyle Korver Hawks. Eventually. I see, I don't equate those two teams together. That was kind of a separate era. No? Because they had, they had gotten rid of Joe Johnson. They got rid of Josh Smith. That was a completely separate team, I feel mm-hmm. like. Um, whereas the Blazers have really been consistent with this throughout. Right. I mean, I guess we're just splitting hairs at this point. But sure, yeah, the Hawks did have their moment. Uh, but I guess the question is, how much should we read into just the more recent playoff performance? Just yeah. simply because who did they beat in the postseason? First, it was Oklahoma City, a team that had to really just disband <laughs> as a result of the loss. And then the Nuggets, who, think- you know, that was, I mean, that was a back and forth, like, brawl between those two. Like, seven games, extremely explosive, both ends of the floor. Uh, they could have easily been on the losing end of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Almost and, were. Yeah. And I, I think... This kind of reminds me of actually of the 2015-16 season. Uh, you know, it was the season in which the Blazers lost Lamar- LaMarcus Aldridge. Damian Lillard becomes the true focal point of the team. They kind of scrap together this like 
really, you know, inspiring run. You know, they're they're not like a great team by any stretch, but they make to the second round of the the Western Conference Finals. They're dubbed, you know, Warriors Light. There's a lot of internal momentum. And then what do they do? They splurge all their money on like Myers Leonard and Evan Turner expecting this kind of internal growth. Right. And so now it's like, you know, we we talk about the Blazers. Uh, they have their core set for the next, what, six years, five years, whatever. Yeah, I think five years. Yeah. As long as these contracts run. So I think Dames runs longer than CJ. One CJ's. year longer. Yeah. So yeah. you should mention that. Uh, but I think the interesting thing is, yes, to your point, they've done quietly a much better job of filling out around the fringes around these two guys. I think the issue primarily was they really tried to double down on what they had and what they had probably wasn't all that much. They've given themselves a lot of outs here. The Nurkic contract last year was really good. Uh, He took a next step before he kind of suffered that injury. And the encouraging thing for me is that they don't have long-term money beyond these two extensions. So, Mm -hmm. uh, so in the 2021-22 season, which is the last year of these extensions, the only money they have other than the CJ and Dame contracts, Nurkic has a partial extension, and then Anthony Anthony Simons and Nazir Little are on their rookie contracts. Right. That's pretty good. Yeah, and so you can easily kind of fill out the rest of the roster however you see fit, especially if, you know, one of them ends up being traded. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it kind of just speaks to the eternal question of, uh, how long should a team just kind of continue being above average? Right. I, honestly, I think they're probably the case for con- continuity. Yeah. They've managed to remain competent and competitive, and I think that you've seen a few tweaks around the fringes really pay off in recent years. Yeah, and I think with Dame, he might be older than you think he is. He's 29, uh, but he's also has basically built his game up from his rookie season uh, to have staying power. Uh, he's been one of the most prolific three-point shooters in league history mm-hmm. uh, up to this point. I think that itself is something that will allow his game to age gracefully into his early, mid-30s. Um, you know, he is one of the more explosive kind of players attacking the rim, and maybe that takes a step back. But these past couple of seasons, he's averaged about eight attempts uh, from three per game. If he gets into that 10 per game threshold, which currently in history has only been occupied by James Harden and Steph Curry. Paul George came really close last year, but he averaged 9.8. If Lillard gets to that 10, gets to 11, 12 attempts per game, that changes you know, the trajectory for the Blazers. That allows them to stay competent for a very, very long time. Right. I guess the other hand would be, or the other side of that argument would be that he is a smaller guard. And as we witnessed with Chris he's Paul, six, he's six three though. He's is six he though. No, he's six three <laughs> with a pretty strong frame. Like I don't, yeah, he's, I don't he's really, sturdy. I don't really consider him on the small side. I, I consider him on like he's basically a average sized point guard. Have you ever stood next to him? I mean, I'm a really short person, so like I, it, it really like <laughs> everyone looks tall. Yeah, to you. everyone kind of looks tall to me. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he's six three. Yeah, I, but it is it is concerning as as we talk about Chris Paul and like what his future is. He's around that same age that we're talking about Dame uh, when he'll kind of reach the back end of that contract when he'll be making fifty million or so. Right. I guess the encouraging thing is in the midst of of having this little run that they're on, the Blazers have done a good job of taking swings in 
targeted ways. Mm-hmm. So specifically in the draft, they've kind of tried to focus on high upside guys who right. could potentially really hit. Uh, Zach Collins is a perfect example of this, a guy that I think everyone's really high on. And they followed that up by getting Simons, uh, a kid that not a lot of people knew about, but all of a sudden everybody in the league wants to say that this kid could, could potentially be right. a factor there. I, I think they're counting on him to run that second unit because if they're not going to stagger Damon and CJ, he's really going to have to be the primary ball handler now that Evan Turner is in Atlanta. Uh, and Little, I believe, is is a similar type of player. Yeah, he was a he was a top three recruit uh, coming out. I, I think he was actually recruit or he was ra- ranked higher than Zion. Um, we all saw how that went. Nasir Little <laughs> didn't really have a great season with North Carolina. He showed a little bit of flash um, in a couple games, but really it was a disappointment of a season. The Blazers are really banking on the talent that they inherently have and their player development to kind of bring it out. Right. Uh, and yeah, like with Zach Collins, I've, me, Charks, and and the entire like corner three crew have been, you know, singing his praises for years now, but it's going to be a different, you know, experience for him now that he's basically being slotted in as a starting four. Right. Yeah. And and you would assume that they're going to want him to flash to five a lot, especially if Hassan Whiteside doesn't work, yeah. especially if Paul Gasol uh, is washed as we all, I believe, assume he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, it's going to come down to the CJ and Dame core. I mean, throughout the league, we're seeing these partnerships essentially being the key to a lot of teams. Not a big three league anymore. It's a big two league, yada, yada, yada. Everyone's been talking about this. But I do think it's interesting. We've been we've had them for a very long time in our lives. And I do wonder if we perhaps don't appreciate how good this pairing really is. Right. And so I do wonder if you lean into uh, that sort of partnership. I, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world. So, I mean, I, I wrote this down. In terms of backcourts, where does this even stand I mean, the so just to rattle off a few, let's say Steph Curry and D'Angelo Russell, the Warriors. Um, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, mm-hmm. the Rockets. Ben Simmons, Josh Richardson. How many of these like, are, are better than CJ and Dave? How I, I much would, would you prefer? I would say Harden and Westbrook are like number one by far. Mm-hmm. I would say any backcourt with Steph Curry is suddenly transcendent just because Steph can kind of do that by himself. Right. After that, it gets murky. I think I think I would easily have them or I would feel very comfortable having them number three. Murray and Harris in Denver, uh, as we saw CJ and Dame bested them in the playoffs. Mitchell and Conley is a new one that could be intriguing For depending Utah. on yeah. yeah, depending on how Mitchell kind of adapts to Conley p- probably playing on the ball far more often than right. And uh, others Mitchell. to kind of throw out um, you know, barring injury, Kyrie and Karras in Brooklyn, mm. uh, Oladipo and Brogdon in Indiana. Uh, obviously not necessarily <laughs> the star ceiling, but like, like in terms of like complementary um talent there, like it I'm glad that we got a Brogdon mention in here. It's been a little while. It's been almost two podcasts since we managed to do that. Hey, we got to shout out our future president, you know? <laughs> sure. Get in there early. Get the buttons going. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think they're right up there. Stefan D'Angelo is one that I'm particularly intrigued by. Yeah. If we're just saying backcourts, I think that while they don't have the defensive acumen that you pr- would prefer, I mean, neither do CJ and Dame. So yeah. I do wonder if this is almost like uh, a... a 
of southern west coast version of this i don't know how, how would you approximate geographically the, yeah yeah the bay area to to portland but I, it is similar enough and when you factor in kind of the context of the entire team the warriors have a few more defenders to kind of make up for uh those lacking qualities i don't know i'm, I'm silently like quietly high on the warriors for sure <laughs> i just kind of believe that Steph Curry's going to be make he just makes people better. He just makes players better. So I, I can't imagine Russell, at least on the offensive end, being a detriment to the team. Right. And they've been hanging out together, which is always a good sign. Which yeah. is this is the part of the summer where we convince ourselves that guys working out together is right. the key to everything. Now, do you think I guess circling back to CJ, I I wonder about how he ages. Mm. Like I think Dame will be fine, but in, if you're securing this backcourt, both of them are listed at 6'3". You don't seem to think they're 6'3". <laughs> I, neither, believe, I believe CJ a little bit more than Dame. Yeah. So neither of them are defensive dynamos. Sure. Are you comfortable with this specific backcourt, you know, carrying into, you know, the 2020s? Sure. I, I think for... The reasons, as you mentioned, just the shooting will probably never, uh, the shooting will age well. And I think that they've done a good job of filling out around there to kind of cover up their weaknesses. Uh, and if the league is going to stay this way, which who knows, it will probably sure. be completely different next year. Right. Because we just, we just actually, for one of the backcourts that we mentioned, Simmons and Josh Richardson, that's a three and a five playing at the one and two. So, like, sure. <laughs> you know, who knows? Yeah. I, well, let's take a look at the West right now. Like, where would we slot in Portland just based on this core this season? Right. I think they'd be up there. I I mean, the more I look at this roster, the more I'm kind of intrigued. And disclaimer, it does have something to do with the fact that they signed Mario Hazonia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I completely forgot about that. Yeah, like, I, I think this team will look much different from the Blazers that we've seen in the past couple of years. I think we kind of focus on the core that they have, the two, their two best players being like, okay, so they're here, you know, the team's obviously the same as it will ever be. Uh, but Hassan Whiteside cannot do the things that y- Yusuf Nurkic did. Mm-hmm. Yusuf Nurkic became a fantastic facilitator for them. He really gave them another playmaking presence. You're not getting that out of Whiteside. They're going to have to change the way they play, you know, the pick and rolls. Um, Zach Collins, who has been like this kind of like low usage all star for a lot of our a lot of us, now he's suddenly thrust into this into this big role. That dude can't get out. That dude can't stay out of foul trouble. Mm-hmm. So like that's a big concern. Um, and you know they got rid of Mo Harkless and Aminu, who you know were some of their best defenders, and replaced them with guys who are much more you know questionable defensively, but can kind of create their own shot. So guys like Rodney Hood, who they brought back, Mario Hazonia, who is a complete wild card, um, Kent Bazemore, who is probably now their best defender. So it's a different team. It's going to be a different dynamic. There are a lot of new guys coming in who, you know, it's not necessarily continuity. They're going to have to, like, figure out how to play with these two guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be interesting. And for that reason, like, I can't, I don't know if I can just kind of slot them in to a high seed the way that they have been in the past two seasons. I think they're kind of more in the like the 5-7 range. They traded in a lot of known quantities yeah. for a lot of guys with upside, but yeah. we haven't seen them prove it yet. Right. When we're all high on a lot of these some of, some of these prospects, Simons is a guy who who seems like he would fit what they're going to do. 
uh, Collins, as you mentioned, but like as as much as Evan Turner was overpaid and ultimately became the symbol for a lot of things that went wrong that summer. Yeah. He was a steady hand who can guide that second unit. That's right. a useful I, player. Yeah, and I think that's kind of why I think they'll they'll actually have to start staggering um, Lillard and McCollum again, just because they need that kind of baseline continuity uh, across their different positions. I don't think it's it's time for Anthony Simons to like be given the reins mm-hmm. and like, you know, lead a team for like 20 minutes off the bench, you know. You didn't read all those blogs though. He's no. going to be the next next guy. I'm not I'm not, I'm not I'm not sold yet. Yeah. Uh the dude just doesn't have many reps and we we just don't know what that looks like in game action. Yeah, almost literally no reps. Yeah. Except for that one game at the end of the season where they played like six guys and Yeah, he, and he dropped it. like 40 something points or something. <laughs> hey. Yeah. So if he could just do that every every game. Sure. Uh they'll be fine. I guess the one thing they have going for them is how many teams are just juggernauts in this Western Conference now. Even a team like the Clippers, who I think we all have high expectations for, uh, Bobby, our, our intrepid producer, just told us at, right before we recorded that apparently Patrick Patterson is getting bought out and he's oh going go to what a travesty. <laughs> go to the Clippers. So that's another four that they need in the mix here, who, I mean, I don't expect much from, from Pat Pat, our guy, anymore. Uh, just considering just the horrific run he had in Oklahoma City. But the one spot that they're kind of soft at is that maybe small ball center forward type. They have Jermichael Green, who did well for them last year. Montrez Harrell will be fine, but in certain situations, you might not want to play him because he's not going to be able to shoot it. Uh, Patrick Patterson, in the ideal form, really fits what they need. Yeah, that that nothing nothing this is this is a nothing burger of a story. <laughs> he's out here to be at movie premieres. I know he's a big movie buff. Right. Uh he's here to catch all those releases. I don't I don't think he's contributing. He's going to be at the, at the Hobbs and Shaw premiere. <laughs> Pat, Pat, come on big picture. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would love that. Yeah. I think I'll he, talk to Sean. <laughs> thank you, Bobby. Uh so if we're slotting the Blazers in the west here, where would they fit in the in the hierarchy? I kind of feel like they are a high upside pick now, but I feel like their floor is a lot lower than it was in the past. Uh, which is funny because last year we were, a lot of people were saying, "Oh, they're not going to make it in playoffs anymore because they got embarrassed by the Pelicans." Uh, I think we can kind of recalibrate our expectations now. They're going to be a playoff team, obviously, but I think if all of the four top West teams come close to their potential, I don't think the Blazers necessarily have that to match. So the four are the Clippers, the Lakers, Lakers, the Nuggets. Nuggets. And then between that, it's like, well, the Warriors are still good. The Warriors might be good. The Jazz are a good regular season team, definitely. See, that's the key for me. I think there are a lot of good regular season teams and a lot of good playoff teams. I don't think the Lakers will be particularly good in in the regular season, even though they have a deep roster because they ended up chopping up the money that they were going to give to Kawhi Leonard. A lot of those guys just aren't very good and they're counting a lot on Anthony Davis playing a lot of games, LeBron playing a lot of games, and Kyle Kuzma quite frankly being better than he, like people think he is. My God, his 2K rating is, 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 <laughs> oh, right. What was it, 83? It was like, I think it's like 86. So he, yeah, that's, that's way too high. I mean, I feel like I'm a, a Kyle Kuzma moderate. I don't know if I'm necessarily a hater. But there are a lot of people who love Kyle Kuzma and think that he is just this incredible player. He's a, he's a scorer. He's a he's like a heat check scorer who hasn't proven that he's a consistent enough three point shooter. You know, you you get buckets enough, you get enough buckets, and it's like, 
right. The key is buckets. Yeah. That's all people remember. The Rockets, we should mention, too. Another team that could be oh, yeah, particularly absolutely. good in the regular season. No, actually, I, that was the team that I was blanking on. Uh, they would round out my four. Yeah, I guess the Blazers are an interesting mix of those two types of teams, the regular season team and the playoff team, because I feel like I'm done counting them out in the regular season, there's been enough situations <laughs> where they've just happened to end up as the three seed. And it's like, yeah. how the hell did we get here again? Uh, it's, and it's always because of the Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> right, yes. <laughs> I think the silver lining, though, is if they make it through the white side experience, experiment, if they can kind of cobble together enough in terms of rotation with young guys and some of these veterans that they're picking up as stopgaps, they'll eventually have Yusuf Nurkic back. As we see, we saw last season, he made a significant impact on their defense. And if we're saying a team like the Lakers could hit another level in the playoffs, potentially the Blazers could as well. Yeah, it's also, you're looking at a really big boy who broke his leg. Uh, it's going to take, a, I think, a lot more conditioning for him to get back to game shape. So... I mean, it would be it would be amazing to see him kind of 100% going in the playoffs, but I, I'm expecting, you know, a, a full, like, the Yusuf Nurkic experience that we saw last year, I'm kind of doubting it comes next year. Yeah. So I guess we'll see. Uh, before we take a quick break here, uh, we've got some Raptors news. Oh, we do. Yeah. Uh, so Jackie Mack, VSPN, wrote a wonderful piece on kind of what happens with with coaches when they figure out you know, their star players are leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's just a, a small little tidbit in there about Nurse seeing a Toronto Raptors coach, Nick Nurse, seeing... <laughs> Nurse. He's a one-name one, one yeah. guy now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Him seeing Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam the day after Kawhi uh, was signed with the Clippers and was like, look, there's going to be 20-plus shot attempts for you both. Uh, you know, they're going to be up for grabs. Are you guys ready? And Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam are both like rubbing their right shoulders and they're like, we're ready, coach. <laughs> okay. And there was like, there was a, a note from uh, Jackie about how Nurse was thinking about playing Siakam at the three, mm. which kind of goes into this this whole idea of, you know, maybe the NBA is just going to be huge again. Or huger than it's ever been, actually. Right. Danny is, of course, referring to my masterpiece of a blog post that I wrote a couple <laughs> weeks ago. No, but basically I suggested if the Warriors' death lineup isn't around to chase centers off the floor, maybe teams can go a little bit bigger. Right. We might see some teams size up, uh, especially because bigs are getting a little bit more versatile. I mean, Pascal Siakam is a perfect example, a guy who played the four for the most part, but, you know, he's, he's, he has the body type to be a three. Perhaps he could be more of a swing guy. Yeah, and in the finals, he was doing some stuff that I had... Honestly, there was... In each game, there was one possession that he had every single game where I was like, I've never seen him do this before. Mm. I don't know what, what he's capable of, and he was just like, they're one-legged, you know, fadeaways, you know, shots off the dribble that I'd never seen him do. He's a kind of more of a static uh, corner three type shooter. Uh, but I mean, that's really the big thing. And, and it's something that you hit on in your, your piece about big ball is that, look, you can play all these big guys together, but eventually they're going to have to hit a shot. Yeah. And Pascal Siakam in the playoffs shot 27% from three. He shot 37% from three in the regular season and 38% uh, from the corners. But you really kind of need him to be a more of a dynamic uh, shot creator uh, from 
you know, distance for right. him to kind of take that next level and be a three. For the listeners at home, Danny just rattled those stats off his head. <laughs> Have you just been cramming on on Raptors statistics this entire summer? No, I was just I look, I I'm a professional. I, I did I did my research before the before we We don't do that on the group chat podcast, Danny. I know I know you've only been back for a couple episodes here, but uh we usually just swing from the hip. Swing from the hip? Shoot from the hip. Shoot from the hip. You shoot from the hip. I mean, you can swing from the hip. That's, <laughs> right. that's generally where you're gyrating, you know, so. <laughs> it's usually where the swinging happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Pascal will have to be the guy there. I remember when I wrote their, our exit survey for the Raptors, assuming that they would be out in the second round. <laughs> and then I kept having to update it uh, each round until they won the NBA title. Uh, he had ISOed second most on that team, and it wasn't that far off from Kawhi Leonard. So yeah. if he is going to be that guy, it seems like he was getting the type of reps you would want from that sort of player. I mean, there was that one game that I caught live when I was in Toronto in January. Uh, he basically got an isolation an isolation possession against the Suns with like three seconds left, and I was just like, he caught it from the top of the arc, and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? He did his famous spin move and and got all the way to the lane. I'm like, I can't believe they ran this for him. Mm. But that's the type of player that the entire franchise kind of sees him as. So, good luck. Good, yeah, good luck with those uh, extra shots, buddy. Yeah, I, I guess the one thing that will be interesting will be how they reincorporate OG and Anobi. Yeah, who we need to mention once a podcast. So of I just course. wanted to get in there. No, but the Sharks clause. <laughs> the Sharks clause. Yes, I just. I thought it would have been interesting had he been there in the finals. Obviously, it didn't matter because they won anyway. But uh, in order to combat a potential small ball lineup from the Warriors, that death lineup that we referred to earlier, uh, what a Pascal at the five lineup would have kind of looked like. Now, they don't necessarily have the resources with Kawhi gone there. They're trying to, they're taking flyers on a, on a lot of wings. It's, this it's really strange. And, and the big thing is like, I don't even consider any of them wings. I don't think... So who is it? It's Rondé Hollis Jefferson. Stanley Stanley Johnson. So two guys who have defensive reputations right. but can't shoot. Right. I think Rondé Hollis Jefferson uh, is six seven, uh, one of the best athletes in the NBA, but has the skill set of a five, which makes him a five. Well, that's interesting, though, because if Pascal does develop a consistent three-point shot right. and OG develops a consistent three-point shot, all of a sudden you could make that sacrifice. So if you're looking at Pascal, OG, Let's say Ronde. That works if Ronde and functions. Stanley Johnson. That's 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 four different guys who are six seven and taller who have the you know capabilities of guarding a four. I think this is like maybe the, guarding a five. This is the theoretical all star team that it's they, they've assembled. I, these also, are the, no one can shoot on that team. Yeah, I mean these are the <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I, these are the type of risks though. I think you need to take it for a team in that situation. You yeah. want to just. You want to bet on high upside. You want to bet on pedigree and talent. And like, what else are they going to do this season? They're probably going to, at some point, part ways with Marcus Gasol. We'll see what happens with Kyle Lowry, whether or not he wants to be kind of uh, the guy who stays there long term and just finishes his career there and, and eats Tim Hortons with Danny throughout uh, the next couple of years. Or if Serge he wants to go else. Serge another Ibaka. yeah, another expiring contract who could potentially be useful for a team, you know, on that contending cusp assuming the Raptors kind of take a, a big step back. Well, that's enough Raptors news for the middle of the summer <laughs> as they prepare for a season where they'll be probably irrelevant. So we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, we're going to come back and talk about Mello.
Danny, Bobby chiming in from behind this wall occasionally. Uh, we're going to talk about Carmelo Anthony here. Perhaps the last time we might be able to do so. Uh, it seems like there's a bit of a movement happening. Or I guess... <laughs> a one-man movement. Well, maybe. Because Damian Lillard recently called out uh, in very cryptic te- uh, tweets where I think he's kind of rallying for one more season for Melo, though it wasn't articulated particularly well. He, they're in hashtag forums. One is vote for Melo farewell season. Well is capitalized. Uh, and then stop, hashtag stop playing Melo, which is confusing because he's advocating, you assume, for Melo to play, but he's saying stop playing Melo. Look, this is, this is a case for, you know, certain punctuations you know if you had a comma there stop playing comma mellow then that means you know that's you not- should stop playing but there's no comma in here because you can't put a comma in hashtags as editors this this really this really gets at my core right uh yeah so more more grammar uh consciousness from some from dame would be appreciated although he did later clarify uh when a blazers fan was like hey you should you should sign him blazers should sign him and he's like we don't have money we don't have money so he's really really he's passing- literally like me and cj just took all the money there's no money left <laughs> right uh but he and he also said that mel should indeed still be playing uh so basically he's passing the buck off uh, the other thing is like there are other things happening in the ether, perhaps because it's such a slow news part of the season. Uh, Chris Brickley, trainer extraordinaire, very online, apparently has an ESPN show or online yeah, show yeah. going on. Uh, he was on the Breakfast Club, believe it or not. Uh, and he had, he said the following, Melo is better than 70% of players walking around. <laughs> Period. <laughs> walking around Earth. <laughs> <laughs> right, including you. <laughs> Uh, he says. I would hope so. <laughs> he says teams are scared off by Melo uh, because Melo uh, is presumed to want to start. He also says that Melo just wants a farewell season, which is the thing that kind of troubles me. Is that the people who are advocating for Melo aren't necessarily saying, "Hey, he could really help a team." It's more that he wants the Dwayne Wade send off, right? So I don't know. You know who else wanted that send off? Paul Pierce. Right. He didn't really get it. Right, you can't really beg for it. <laughs> it. It just it feels like something that's pretty organic, right? It, it is a little desperate, and while Mel ha- himself hasn't participated in it, apparently he's going on first take on Friday. Mm. I saw, so he is leaning to it a little bit, and there does seem to be an influx of those training run videos in the summer that we always get at Brickley's gym and some of these others uh, in L.A. and New York. Often, I mean, it, it's gotten to a point where like. Public opinion has has fallen so low with Melo, and I really don't even have any takes of my own. It's just like I'm absorbing so much of the vitriol that that has come from like people talking about Melo over the past couple of years. That like when I saw him dunk, I was like, "Holy crap, he could still dunk!" I didn't realize he could still dunk. Technically, yeah, he it was more of a there. hop. Sure, well, by I mean, a tall he, guy, he, yeah, but still, like <laughs> I, from the way that we've talked about him, it's like. Man, this guy can't even walk, pretty much. On defense, that's true. Well, he that's by choice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, at a certain point, you know, he's not really, uh, no lateral movement there to perhaps right. recover or do anything else. So, yeah, uh, you're right, though. I think the public opinion has perhaps swayed a little bit too far, where Melo has become the poster boy for... DJ Foster made the case that for this, like, anti-analytical movement that happened 
a few years ago, when basically when analytics caught up to to everything, when Kobe was found to be perhaps not as as good of a player as we all assumed he was, based on how inefficient he was, particularly in the RIP your mentions. I know I really should have phrased that better, but we're going to keep powering on. Uh, Mello really became the symbol for all that was wrong. He took a lot of mid-range jumpers, was reluctant to play the four when that seemed to be his best position. Uh, Overall, though, was still a fine player. And I think the case that DJ made for us in a piece that went up on The Ringer today was in Houston and even in Oklahoma City. He wasn't all that bad. In Oklahoma City, uh, he played 78 games. He ended up averaging 16 Points, six rebounds, 1.3 assists, uh, with a lower usage rate than he's accustomed to, I believe is in the 23 range. He's more of a, a 30 usage guy. And his net rating, 5.2. And that's a positive. That's oh, not that's a good. negative. That's not that bad. Now, in Houston, things took a bit of a turn. He played 10 games. Uh, he scored 13.4 points per game, shot 40% from the floor, 33% from three, not great. Uh, 5.4 re- rebounds. 0.5 assists. Now, I know it was 10 games and the sample size is completely thrown off as a result of that, but 0.5 assists? Look, Don't you just like stumble into an extra assist there? Look, man, I mean, the Rockets were, were playing a lot of iso ball. So, I I mean, I'm assuming once you once he caught the ball, he wasn't really giving it to anyone else. So. Right. Or he was playing off of Harden, perhaps right. catching shooting more. Uh, ended up with a negative 9.9 net rating. Not very good, but if we we kind of flash back to the circumstances of the Rockets earlier in that season, he really wasn't in a position to succeed. They had all those injuries. Uh, the Some of the flyers they took that offseason didn't really pan out, and so they were left playing Melo more. I believe he played like 29 minutes a game. Right. And they were probably going to him more than they ever expected. So I don't know if it was it's like fair to to, to paint Mello's current status based on that situation. It's just more that like, what does he look like as a true role player? It's a great point. And even in those uh, those training videos from the summer at the Berkeley gym, it was a lot of him just backing down Kobe style, taking yeah. one dribble fadeaways. Look, he's. I think what we're looking at, and if he does come back, what is his game at this point? He is a stretch four who's going to want to cook. He's going to want to dance. He's going to want to, you know, take guys off the dribble and and kind of show off what Melo has always done. Um, Can he be a guy who reliably spots up from the corners and just kind of stands there and and takes those shots? He's never been a particularly good three-point shooter. So do you really want him in that role? But he is the type of guy who is a good shooter. Right. And I think that's the distinction a lot of NBA players make that perhaps like us in the media don't. It seems like the fact that a lot of defenders were scared of those sorts of shots from Melo matter. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something to take note, not only just from just like a a, a a personal standpoint, just on just like the guys having to respect that. And perhaps that's something we should take note of. But also the idea of gravity. If guys think he's a good shooter, they're probably going to like guard him a little bit closer, which opens up things for everybody else. And as we've seen, he's very good at standing around. Yeah. So perhaps if, he, if you just put him in a corner, that's good enough to do something. I just, I honestly don't, like if it didn't work for the Rockets, if it didn't work for the Thunder, I mean, how many teams are actually going to be looking at him? Well, outside of the, outside of the Lakers. So what's the list? 
what what team makes the most sense for I only like have one team on my list. Okay. And it's the most irrelevant team in the NBA, the Charlotte Hornets. Hmm. Like who 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 is going to be one taking his shots to like they don't have a name brand anymore mm-hmm. with with Kemba out. They have Cody Zeller and Co. I think <laughs> I think in in DJ Foster's piece, Marvin Williams is the highest scoring returning player Hell on yeah. that team. That is insane. North Carolina legend, baby. Like, I love PJ Washington. I love what Miles um, Bridges can possibly do in his sophomore year. But look, this team isn't really going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So might as well give Melo all of the shots he can get, I guess. I guess. He's not going to win them a bunch of games if that's what they're worried about. <laughs> it puts Melo in an interesting position because he ultimately just becomes like a show pony. Sure. In that situation. Sure. But on the other hand, it seems like that's what people are advocating for. Yeah. That a player of his caliber, cook. well, they have Dwayne Bacon. He cooks. That's right there in the name. <laughs> no, no. Bacon, bacon doesn't cook. Bacon gets cooked. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Giving me a lot to think about here. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. I mean, Mel's a Jordan brand guy, so perhaps Jordan would have some influence there. Or perhaps like he would feel something for Melo and want to really do him a solid, which really raises some questions about whether or not that relationship is something that should exist in the NBA to begin with. Foster brought up in his piece, uh, the Pistons is a potential team. If only because I think they're a team that just needs something to happen. It seems like they're at least a year away from clearing some money off their books. They're really committed to the Drummond-Blake Griffin thing. They have Markeith Morris. I'd rather yeah. I'd rather play him. I don't even like I can't remember Markeith Morris even playing after he left the Wizards. I know he was on the Thunder, <laughs> but I just don't remember him doing right. anything positive for that team. Uh I guess another team in Detroit who could really use Mel's profile and attention. They really need people out to that new arena that they have downtown. Just seems like nobody's ever there. It makes some sense. I think they do have, as DJ alluded to, some some wing defenders who could potentially cover him if he is indeed sure. going to play on that second unit. The other team he mentioned was the Warriors. Mm. You know. Okay. I mean, yeah, they are, they are a team that has basically thrown a lot of dice rolls this, this offseason, uh, picking up a lot of younger guys. Uh, who have potential? Maybe it's time for to swing the other the other way on the pendulum. Now they are up against the hard cap. They, I believe, are two hundred thousand according to Spot Tracks uh, data uh, up against the apron, which means that they cannot go over that. Even though Mello is a veteran minimum, who you could often just slot in there regardless uh, of how much it is, uh, but that would take them way over. So they would have to lose somebody in order to add Mello. And so all of a sudden you're doing way too much just to give Carmelo Anthony a chance. And I really don't think, well, even though they are going to open that new arena, they really need much publicity right? at this point. I, I, I'm kind of talking myself into him fitting on most teams. Wow. <laughs> Is that weird? <laughs> I just think that he's he could be a serviceable player. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Um, it's just, man, perception is really hard to shake sometimes. I don't know how I've come to this point where I've gone gone the complete opposite way where I feel bad for him that I just, I think he does deserve some sort of send-off. Right. And like, if this is the end, like what, how do you remember him? How will you remember him? As a disappointment. Mm. As a guy who chose money and the New York market over perhaps what was best for him. I also think whether it was his agent or his own decision, not timing his contract 
in order to be a free agent at the same time as Dwayne Wade and LeBron James and Chris Bosh was a potentially career-altering decision. Sure. We could have had a big four right. at a certain point. I don't know how it would have worked. <laughs> That's uh, a lot of money, man. <laughs> a lot of money, especially at that point in their careers, but like maybe further down the road, something would have happened and yada, yada. I mean, he could have had that opportunity again if he'd just gone to the Bulls. Right. Instead of taking the extra money with the Knicks, he could have gone, well, the Lakers weren't much of a team at that point. The Rockets, he could have gone to the Rockets earlier. Man, so was like Mello the 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 true death knell of New York as a destination? Potentially. I mean, he did rob that team. I mean, he didn't personally, but the Knicks decided to just cast away like all of their serviceable role players who, by the way, a lot of them are still in the league. Danilo right. Gallinari is still a really helpful player. Yeah. Wilson Chandler is still kicking around. I think, is he on He's the Clippers? On the Yes, he did sign with the Nets. That's right. So, I don't know. But at the same time, he made them relevant in a way that they hadn't been in a very long time. They'd been associated with just complete and abject failure. They at least had a moment in that one season where everything did go right. Yeah, and I think in terms of his legacy, as far as style and as far as culture, like he is an influential player. Yeah. Uh, Before Kevin Durant became Kevin Durant, you talked about Melo and Kobe as like the two purest scorers in the NBA. And I think that's kind of how I, I'll remember him as like this kind of time capsule for this post-Jordan era of like, we still kind of fetishized this certain type of scoring wing, this guy of, you know, who has a platonic ideal of an offensive skill set who can create his bucket anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he transitioned to the, you know, later aughts and it became later aughts and and even in the uh, 2010s when he became apparent that you should probably play the four. Um, He kind of stayed kind of um, stubborn in his insistence that he was a three, even though he played his, probably some of his best years on the Knicks as a four for Mike Woodson. I don't know. I, it's, it's interesting because I, I was talking to you about this a few days ago in the office. It was just like, Melo is so much more relevant than Paul Pierce is, but it's hard to say Paul Pierce didn't have a better NBA career. He probably did. I mean, he has the finals MVP. He has a, yeah. And even though we, we do factor in all these, these, these nuanced statistics and all these other things, it ultimately does come down to success. I think, I mean, Bill has always said that if a player is good enough, he should be able to bring a team to a conference finals. And although Mel went to one, it was, at, a, at a time when yeah. he picked his own destination and perhaps had the, the perfect opportunity to pick his own contacts and really focus on that more than anything, he didn't do so. And so ultimately, we'll probably think of him as someone who just didn't live up to all our expectations and whose image did not match the reality. But on the other hand, I mean, I think the fact that that exists is why we're so disappointed, that he right. was such a talented player, uh, a player that we all kind of fell in love with when he had that magical season at Syracuse, which as a UConn fan is tough for me to say, but he was awesome that year. Yeah, and truly, I, I think some of his... Sh- Offensive showcases have been one of the best. Like, we will remember him as one of the best offensive players in league history. Yeah. Whether that, you know, bears out with the numbers or not. Like, it's it's so ingrained. His style of play is so ingrained in this specific era that we're watching. He helped define an era. 
Yeah. And part of that is because the NBA is probably more popular than ever. And he just happened to be very close friends with just some of the best players ever. Yeah. And like the LeBron Mello rivalry never really bore out. But I think that kind of the fact that they were entwined so early uh, in those first couple seasons really helped power that post Jordan. Uh, malaise that the NBA was feeling. I think that in itself is is very, very important. He was a 10-time All-Star. Yeah. And a lot of that comes down to popularity. But on the other hand, like, you know, he had some of the more memorable seasons uh, in recent history. So uh, do you think he should get another shot? Yeah, why not? Yeah. I, I, that's what it comes down to. I, I would rather him play than not play. Yeah. Because otherwise he's just going to be showing up at like Knicks games and weird hats and just looking all sullen. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, so. you know... He, he has he has like business ventures that he needs to tend to, right? Yeah, that was also not a bad, uh, not a not a good look for him when he was doing ESPN cover stories on his tech like interests when he was still like in the prime of his career. I think it was only like three or four years ago, right? Probably not the best move, but we'll see what happens from here, uh, and we will see what happens over the course of the next week. Hopefully, there'll be a lot to talk about. <laughs> Danny might not be with us for a little while. Mm-hmm. He's he's going up north. Yeah, two months in Toronto. Yeah, how Should you feeling? Really excited for it. I think I blew your big announcement last week when I when yeah, I yeah. to the fact that you're doing this. Somehow, like people were like, "Oh, is Danny not going to be like around?" I was like, "Oh, I, people actually listen to this podcast." Apparently. <laughs> well, hopefully, the people who are listening to it now will join us again next week. Uh, for Danny and for Bobby, I'm Justin. We will talk to you next week. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.